Amen. Let's go ahead and turn to the scriptures. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Let's pray. God, we praise you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You died for our sins, made payment for the debt we owed. You've forgiven us. You've given us eternal life. And just as sure as Jesus rose from the dead, so shall we in the resurrection. Lord, as we come to the scriptures now, I ask you for help. I need the Holy Spirit to speak your truth faithfully and boldly. And I pray that you would do your work in our hearts today. Open the blinded eyes that they may see. Unstop the ears that are deaf to your truth. Bring those who are dead in their sins to life in Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read from Matthew chapter 16 this morning. And the the bulletin says we'll begin in verse 21. But I'd like to back up to verse 13. Matthew chapter 16 verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of... Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. 
But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. This is God's holy word. It's Easter Sunday. I prefer to know it as Resurrection Sunday. It's the day that we have gathered as God's people and set aside a time, like we do every Sunday, but with a special emphasis this day, to remember and to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I just want to be really clear up front that I truly believe, I stake my life on this, that Jesus really did die for our sins. And that on the third day, He really did rise from the dead. Not some spiritual resurrection, not some, uh, some idea that the disciples came up with to keep His teachings going. But I believe that on the third day, after Jesus had died on the cross, He literally, physically, bodily rose from the dead and walked out of His tomb. That really happened. And we should celebrate that. Because if Jesus had stayed in the tomb, we would have no reason to gather here today. If He died and stayed dead, He was just like everybody who came before Him and everybody since. Yeah, He did some good things. Yeah, He said some crazy stuff. He had some wise teachings. But if He died and stayed dead, He was not who He said He was. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, He was a liar, and you might as well go home and hunt Easter eggs and enjoy a meal with your family this afternoon. Jesus did rise from the dead. And I'll just be honest with you, I'm one of these preachers that usually has a good plan well in advance of what uh, I want to preach. I've got my sermons planned out through August as it is right now. And, and I had a text that I wanted to preach this morning um, about the resurrection. And this sermon was supposed to be my sermon last week. Um, but an unexpected trip to the emergency room, and I'm so thankful for all of you who checked on us this week. Kelby's doing okay. She's not back to full strength, but she's here, and I'm so thankful for that. Whatever hindrance that was, the providence of God, an attack from the devil, whatever you want to call it, I can't get away from this passage. Every so often as a preacher, it doesn't happen all the time, but every so often as a preacher, the Lord puts a special burden on my heart. And you as Christians know this. There have been times in your life when you felt especially burdened to pray for someone. Or to do something for someone. Or to speak to someone. And you can't get away from it. 
And that's what I feel this morning. Jesus has a victorious moment in Matthew 16. He comes to his disciples. He says, who do men say that I am? And of course the people don't have it right. They say, well, maybe he's John the Baptist. Uh, Maybe he's Elijah. Maybe he's Jeremiah. Maybe he's one of the other prophets. But Jesus asks a a more pointed question and he says, forget them for a minute. Who do you say that I am? And let's just be honest, that's really what matters for you the most. Who do you say that Jesus is? What do you think about Him? Just tune out whatever the world says for a minute. Tune out what the church says. Tune out what the preacher says. Who is Jesus? Who do you think He is? And we've been studying Peter's first letter, and so it's nice to see him in another context here in his earlier days. He's the one that speaks up, and he says, you are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And for all the foolish things that Peter said, and all the dumb things that Peter did, right here in this moment, he nailed it. You're the Christ. The Son of the living God. He got it exactly right. That's who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one that Israel looked for all those years. The one whom the the prophets had predicted. He came. He was God in the flesh. And Peter said, I know who you are. Jesus answered. And he told him, he said, blessed are you, Peter, son of John. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There is no way that we can really know the truth about Jesus apart from the revelation of God. He's given us His Word. He's told us who He is. And He says to Peter, I will say to you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Man, Peter's pumped up. I'm sure you are Peter on this rock. I'll build my church. This is a victorious moment. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is a great time. But then he steps back and reminds them that, yes, there is glory in knowing who the Son of God is. There is glory for us in celebrating the resurrection. But before you get to glory, there's what? A cross. Verse 21 says, from that time, Jesus... Began, he began to show, he continuously did it, but this was the moment when he really began to show it to them, to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. That he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. We could stay here with Jesus and and glory in His identity, that He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. We could rejoice in that. We here gathered today could rejoice in the resurrection and the glory that, that that is proclaimed in that. 
But friends, we cannot forget that there is a cross on the way to glory. He says he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. It was necessary for Jesus. Jesus embraced his cross. Surely he did suffer. He was turned over by the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. After they had had their trial with him, after they had abused him in their ways, turned him over to the Romans. Who Pilate at first looked at him and said, there's nothing wrong with this man. He's not done anything worthy of death. But because he cared more about what the crowds thought than what was actually right, he said, okay, you take him, you kill him. And they said, oh, it's not lawful for us to do that. You do it. And Pilate gave in. He had Jesus beaten. Stripped of his clothes. The crown of thorns beaten into his brow. They dressed him in a mockery of a robe and made fun of him as they pretended to worship him. And he died. Jesus embraced his cross. It was something he had to do. It was God's plan for all eternity that Jesus would die for our sins. Yes, there is glory in knowing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But let's just be honest, there's nothing that does for you without Jesus going to the cross. Salvation is appropriated whenever we put our trust in Jesus and what He did for us in His death. Jesus embraced His cross. He died in your place. And we must embrace Jesus and His cross in order to be saved. You cannot reject what Jesus has done and say, No, that really doesn't matter. You don't need a bloody old cross in order to have salvation or a relationship with God. Friends, you do. You must embrace Jesus and His cross. And he said at the end of the verse that he would be raised on the third day. But I really think the disciples stopped listening after they heard him say that he was going to be killed. What? You're our leader. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the king. You've got the kingdom. What do you mean you're going to be killed? Peter took Jesus aside. I mean, just imagine this. It's Jesus. Peter hears Jesus say that he's going, to be, he's going to suffer and be killed. And he takes him aside. Jesus, I don't want to embarrass you in front of the other disciples, but I've got to have a word with you. Took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus, you're a good teacher. We follow you. We trust you. But this dying business, we can't have that. Peter refused to embrace Jesus' cross at that moment. He said, far be it from you, Lord. You could translate that. God forbid. Seriously, Peter? God forbid? How about God's plan? He said, God forbid, far be it from you. This shall not happen to you. It won't. Jesus says, it must. Look at what... Jesus said to Peter, though, he turned and said to Peter, verse 23, Get behind me, Satan. That wasn't five minutes ago. He was a rock, right? He says, You're Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Five minutes later, get behind me, Satan. What happened? 
He refused to embrace the cross. When was the last time that Jesus said this? Get behind me, Satan. Matthew records one account of it. Luke actually uses the exact same words. When Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan those 40 days. And the devil came to Jesus and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And said, if you will bow and worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms. He's already the king, right? They're already his kingdoms. But for Jesus to walk that path to the cross first was the plan of God. Yes, those kingdoms of the world are His. They are His even today. They will be His forever. Jesus is our King, but it was the plan of God that He would ascend the throne by first going to the cross. So the devil in that moment says, don't worry about that cross business. Just bow to me for one minute and you can have it all now. He offered Him glory without suffering. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. And the Scriptures say that Satan left him and waited for an opportune time to come and tempt him again. Enter Peter, Matthew 16. Jesus has been offered the glory without the suffering by Satan. And now even Peter says, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Forget that cross business. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Imagine hearing those words from Jesus. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Peter, you're thinking like a human, and that's not good enough. Because the, the human way, right, is to get as much as possible with as little suffering as possible. We want it as good as we can have it without going through very much at all if we can help it. We don't want to suffer. We avoid suffering. We want comfort. We want pleasure. We want everything that we can have in this life and avoid suffering at all costs. And Jesus says, you're thinking like a man, not like God. How did he go from... You're a Peter, you're, you're a rock to get behind me, Satan. Because he wanted the glory without the suffering. He wanted the crown without the cross. Friends, that's where we are. We want Christianity that gets us a ticket to heaven. We want Christianity that Gives us a general morality for the way we live our lives. We want a Christianity that gives us peace and comfort and joy in this life. But please just keep the cross back 2,000 years ago at Jesus. He did that. I don't need that. We don't want suffering. We don't want the pain that leads to glory. We want the glory without the suffering. You're thinking, we're thinking like men, not like God. And it's an offense. Jesus said to his disciples in verse 24, 
if anyone desires to come after me. That is, if anyone wants to be saved, if anyone wants to have this relationship with God through Christ, here's what that looks like. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, salvation is completely a free gift of God. It's a gift of grace through faith in Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, He took the punishment, the wrath of God that was stored up for our sins. Your sins and mine. All the punishment that we deserve, Jesus took it on the cross. He didn't just die a crucifixion. He died carrying the wrath of God. And when we repent of our sins and we put our trust in Jesus alone, that's all you have to do is believe in Him. He forgives our sins. He grants us eternal life. All it is is faith. It's believing in Him. Now, I want to make a clarification here. Because this is part of my burden. This is what bothers me right now. Is that there are many of us who believe that. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We believe that Jesus died for our sins. We believe that He rose from the dead, but we do not believe in Him. You believe that, but you don't believe in. You can know something to be true. You can have an intellectual knowledge of what has happened. You can understand that that the Bible is a historical account of what Jesus has done. But if you have not believed into Him, If you have not become one with Him, united to Him in His death, you are still dead in your sins. Here's why this is such a big deal for me. One reason. Because that was me. I'm a preacher's kid. I went to Christian school. I memorized all my Sunday school Bible verses. I dressed nice to go to church. I didn't use bad language. I didn't do all the bad stuff that all those worldly kids did. I was the church kid, the preacher's kid. When I was five, somebody said, hey, you want to go to heaven when you die? I said, yeah, sure. Pray this prayer. All right. I repeated the prayer. They baptized me. They made me a member of the church. I knew the gospel, but I was lost. Dead in my sins. Jesus talked about the Pharisees, how that on the outside they were whitewashed tombs, but on the inside still full of dead men's bones. I looked good on the outside. I did what was right, but inside I was dead. Pride consumed me. As long as the appearances were right, as long as everybody thought I was okay, it really didn't matter what my thought life was like or what I said inwardly. And friends, I'm afraid that some of you, you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but you have not embraced His cross. You have not believed in Him. You have not found life in His name. And yes, on the outside, you may look like you've got it all together. You might be like Peter, and you can say the right things. You can say, Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And you can share the gospel with anybody. But you haven't embraced the cross yourself. You haven't been born again. 
What does that look like? There's a cost attached to that. Salvation is free, but you take it on His terms. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. You don't matter anymore when you become a Christian. Whatever goals you have, whatever desires you have, whatever you want to do with your life, guess what? It doesn't matter anymore. Whatever pleasures and comforts, whatever makes you feel good, that's not what you pursue after. You deny yourself. He says you take up your cross. Don't spiritualize that in your mind. Don't think about the, you know, the nice crosses that we have in the church and the people wear as, as jewelry. Think about it from the disciples' perspective. Jesus hadn't died yet. To take up your cross meant to die You were signing your own death certificate. To carry your cross was to carry the very instrument of your death. Your life is over when you become a Christian. What you want doesn't matter anymore. It's what He wants. You die to yourself and you live to God. No longer mindful of the things of men, but mindful of the things of God. And he says, follow me. That's not the first time those disciples had heard that. Back in chapter 4 in Matthew. Jesus came and they had been washing their net. And they had that great catch of fish. And Jesus said, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And what did they do? The scriptures say immediately. They let down their nets. They walked away from the family business. They left mom and dad behind. And they followed Jesus. Salvation is free, but that doesn't mean it doesn't cost you something. He says, verse 25, and this is really the paradox of the Christian faith. He said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? If you want to live, you have to die. If you die, you will live. If the thing you live for is what you want, if the thing you live for is to save your own life, to make yourself comfortable, to to further your own agenda, if you live for you, you will die. You will perish. I remember the day that God saved me. And this really all came back to my mind just a few weeks ago. On Wednesday, we were reading in in the book of Acts about Ananias and Sapphira. And I, I just remembered so clearly the day that I became a Christian. You see, the preacher's kid who had it all together, and as far as everybody knew, was okay, had a choice to make whenever the Holy Spirit convicted him and said, You're lost and you need to be saved. I had a choice to make in that moment. I could say, no, uh, you know, uh, people already think I'm fine. I don't need to, to, to go down front. I don't want to pray. I don't want to have to tell everybody that I was fooling them all this time. I'm just going to sit right here and hang on to my church pew. And as soon as that preacher says, amen, I'm out of here. That's what I wanted to do. And I just remember so clearly it coming to my mind that that story of Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit in the early days of the church and God killed them. 
And I remember standing in that church that morning. The, the, the people are singing the sermons over. And it just occurs to me. I'm so convicted over my sin. I'm thinking if I walk out of this place. I'm going to die. If I lie to God right now. And I lie to all these people. And say that I'm okay. And I walk out of this place. I'm done for. I don't know when my death is going to be. But regardless of when it is, if you lie to God, if you keep deceiving yourself, you keep living for yourself and acting like everything's okay, sometime or later, you are going to die. Jesus says, if you desire to save your life, if you want to keep your reputation, if you're, if you're just concerned about your own pride and what makes you look good, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you count the cost and you say, Jesus is more valuable than my life. Jesus is more valuable than what people think of me. Jesus is more valuable than what I can accrue here and say, I'm going to follow Jesus, whatever the cost. He says this, you will find life. You want to have eternal life? You want to have life with God? You have to give up your life here and now. Some of you are, are, are logical thinkers. I like to think that I am. I like to reason through things. So Jesus says something very logical here in verse 26. He says, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Just think about it right now. Count the cost. You gain everything in the world. You accomplish all your hopes, all your dreams, all your goals, all your plans. You make all the money you ever want to make. You have all the comfort you ever want to have. You have the, the perfect family and you have no problems. You get everything you want out of this life. But then you die in your sins and you spend eternity in hell. You lose your soul. What profit is it? What does this stuff matter? What does it matter? What does it matter what people think of you on April the 17th when you dressed up and came to church for Easter Sunday? What does it matter how much money you retire with? How many rounds of golf you can get in before your funeral? Jesus said, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for your soul? What in this life would you be willing to trade your soul for? What pleasure? What sin? Are you holding on to? That you won't follow Jesus for? He said in verse 27, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels... And He will reward each according to His works. It's good for us to be reminded that there is a judgment day. For those who have followed Jesus, who have, who have given everything that they wanted up, it doesn't mean that you'll actually lose everything. You just have to be willing to. Jesus just to have all, has to have all of you. It doesn't have to be a scary thing to stand before God. If you say, Jesus, you have my life. I turn from my sin, I turn from my own pursuits, and I'm going to follow you. 
You can stand in the judgment in confidence, covered in the grace of God, clean, holy, and perfect in His sight. But the reality is we will all stand at the judgment. He will reward each according to his works. Why is works? Is works the basis of our salvation? No. Faith in Christ alone will save you. But the works that your life, your life demonstrates shows what's really on the inside. The works that you do are a demonstration of who you are. If you belong to God, you will deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. If you're living for yourself, you're probably not a Christian. This was not the sermon you expected for Easter Sunday, and that's okay. It's not the one I really planned to preach but it's the one I think you need to hear. I'm just, I'm going to be honest. I'm concerned for some of you. I can't see your hearts. I don't know you on the inside like God does. But He's given me an urgent desire to pray for you and to warn you so that you will have an opportunity to repent and come to Him for mercy before it's too late. I've spent the last couple of weeks coming into this sanctuary when no one else is here and walking to your seats and praying for you. I love you. And I want you to know the truth. And I want you to be deceived into thinking you're something that you're not. I urge you to repent of your sins and to follow Jesus. He has plenty of mercy for you. I'd like for you all to stand and I'm going to pray. And we'll sing a song like we usually do. But if the Lord is working in your heart and you feel compelled to come forward, I would encourage you to do that. I'll pray with you if you need it. Make sure your heart is right with God. Father, we thank you for your word and for hard truths. Not hard because they're hard to understand, but hard because sometimes it's hard to swallow. So God, give us open hearts. I've tried to speak your truth. Now I pray that your Holy Spirit would do His work in these hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.